Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Have you ever been in a situation and you just didn't really know what you were going to do? I know I have. And there seems not to be a good solution sometimes. Or you are so paralyzed with anxiety and fear that you can't even think of a possible solution that could ever turn out to be good. It is all you can do to even think at all. I would like to read you the account of a king of Judah who learned several neighboring kings had declared war on him and were now leading their armies to attack him and his people. Listen to find out what he did in this very tense and potentially disastrous situation. I'm going to be reading from Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Later on, the armies of the kings of Moab, Ammon, and of the Minuites declared war on Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Word reached Jehoshaphat that a vast army is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea, from Syria. It is already at Engedi. Jehoshaphat was badly shaken by this news and determined to beg for help from the Lord. So he announced that all the people of Judah should go without food for a time in penitence and intercession before God. People from all across the nation came to Jerusalem to plead unitedly with him. Jehoshaphat stood among them as they gathered at the new court of the temple and prayed this prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, the only God in all the heavens, the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth, you are so powerful, so mighty. Who can stand against you? O our God, didn't you drive out the heathen who lived in this land when your people arrived? And didn't you give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple for you, truly believing that in a time like this, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, disease, or famine, we can stand here before this temple and before you, for you are here in this temple and cry out to you to save us and that you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You wouldn't let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so we went around and didn't destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land which you have given us. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We have no way to protect ourselves against this mighty army. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you. As the people from every part of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of somebody else that was a Levite, who was one of the sons of Asaph. Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, and you, O King Jehoshaphat, he exclaimed. The Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be paralyzed by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down and attack them. You will find them coming up the slopes of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not need to fight. Take your places, stand quietly, and see the incredible rescue operation God will perform for you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out there tomorrow. 
for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat fell to the ground with his face to the earth, and all the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the Kohath clan and the Korah clan stood to praise the Lord God of Israel with songs of praise that rang out strong and clear. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and called them to attention. Listen to me, O people of Judah and Jerusalem, he said. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall have success. Believe his prophets, and everything will be all right. After consultation with the leaders of the people, he determined that there should be a choir leading the march clothed in sanctified garments and singing the song, His loving kindness is forever, as they walked along praising and thanking the Lord. And at the moment they began to sing and to praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to begin fighting among themselves, and they destroyed each other. For the Ammonites and Moabites turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And when they had finished that job, they turned against each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the watchtower that looks out over the wilderness, as far as they could look, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his people went out to plunder the bodies and came away loaded with money, garments, and jewels stripped from the corpses, so much that it took them three days to cart it all away. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, as it is called today, and how they praised the Lord. Then they returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, full of joy that the Lord had given them this marvelous rescue from their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem accompanied by a band of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and proceeded to the temple. And as it had happened before, when the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God fell upon them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was quiet, for his God had given him rest. So we learned that when the king was badly shaken by the news, he was determined to beg for help from the Lord. Part of his prayer was, We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you. Sometimes we are in unexpected and unwelcome circumstances, and we also don't know what to do. And those are the very times we need to go to the one who is not surprised by what has occurred, the one who is still on his throne and in control, and he is good. We just have to cling to our hope and faith and trust in him no matter what, because God is in control far beyond the immediate situation. Do you remember the story in Genesis about Joseph and his brothers who were so jealous of him because Joseph was his father's favorite, and his brothers sold him into slavery? And I'm sure Joseph was afraid and worried and stressed beyond what we can barely imagine as he ended up in prison charged with something he didn't even do. But you know, through it all, the Lord was with Joseph in everything that happened, It was part of a plan that only God was aware of, and Joseph could eventually tell his brothers that God had sent him to Egypt and that God had meant it for good. I was at a Christian bookstore a few weeks ago buying some of Randy Alcorn's books, and the man at the next counter was buying several of Charles Spurgeon's books. 
I mentioned to him how much I enjoyed Spurgeon's writings and that if he was not familiar with Randy Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness, that he might want to get a copy because it was such an encouraging book for anyone going through a trial of any sort. As a matter of fact, I read that book almost every day, and it's, it's just an encouraging book for anybody, really. The man looked at me and he said, everyone is going through something. And you know, he was absolutely right. If you have never gone through something, you are probably not even old enough to be listening to this program. We all have storms in our lives, and when they come, we had better have Jesus in our boat with us. He is who we need to help us navigate the waters of death and disease and divorce and imprisonment and disasters. There have been many times when I have experienced trials in my life, too. Christians certainly are not immune from the bad things that are part of life on earth. I'm going to read you some of the devotional thoughts from various authors, as well as the Bible, that I have written down in times of trial. Maybe there will be some thoughts that might help you today. So you might get a pen and paper handy for some of these that are going to have come from the Bible. And this first verse is from Psalm 138.3. When I pray, you answer me and encourage me by giving me the strength I need. And from Jesus calling, if something troubles you, talk it over with me. Every moment is precious if you keep your focus on me. Henry Blackaby says there is only one standard for determining whether your life is pleasing to God. It's found in the Bible. You must place your life next to the life of Jesus. Do you think Jesus is pleased with what he sees? From Charles Spurgeon, Our hearts find rest in God. When wearied with life's conflicts, we turn to Him and our souls dwell at ease. It is in God that our hearts find their deepest delight. Love for Him strengthens us. And this is from James. These trials are for the testing and strengthening of your faith. Do not think that your sorrows are out of God's plan. They are necessary parts of it. And James MacDonald, says, a trial is any painful circumstance God allows in our lives to transform our conduct and our character. We are here to display the superiority of a life lived in God. From Hebrews twelve six, God chastens those he loves. Henry Blackaby says, his power is more than enough to handle any problem you will ever face. Walk closely with God and let his power shine through your life. Anything is a blessing if it drives us to God. Charles Spurgeon says, Remember that when you are at your worst and lowest point, underneath you are the everlasting arms. And that verse is from Deuteronomy 33:27. Henry Blackaby says, As a Christian, your calling is to glorify God with your life. Parents are called to model a Christian lifestyle for their children. From Galatians 6, 7 through 8, we reap what we sow. If you live in continual disobedience to God's ways, you'll destroy your life. One day we will all have to answer for the way we lived. Today's choices determine tomorrow's rewards. From Spurgeon, no faith is as precious as that which lives and triumphs in adversity. Faith increases the more it is exercised with tribulation. From Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord, he will carry them. From Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. From Psalm 56, 9b, this one thing I know, God is for me. 
and from the Psalms 57, 1b. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until this storm is past. The cross is where you leave your burdens and walk in faith. From Spurgeon, and some of these I may repeat because this was done, you know, over maybe a several-year period, and so the things that stuck out to me I wrote down, so I may have written them down more than one time. But Charles Spurgeon said, These trials are for the testing and strengthening of your faith. Do not think that your sorrows are out of God's plan. They are necessary parts of it. From Psalm 37, 7, Trust in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. At times, it is tempting to take matters into our own hands. Instead, we must trust God to work out His plan. And that was from the notes of John 18, verses 10 and 11. And again, I I do use the Life Application Bible. True knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, affects our attitude and our response to our circumstances. Is my response to what is going on in my life bringing glory to God? And this is from uh, Oswald Chambers. Why shouldn't we experience heartbreak? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with His Son. If God can accomplish His purposes in this world through a broken heart, then why not thank Him for breaking yours? What do you think will be your legacy? All of us can make a difference in the lives of those around us. And that's from that One Year History Christian book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. And this is from Blackaby. God is not impressed when we live up to our standards. He expects us to live up to His. And from Spurgeon, let us show the world that we are a happy and blessed people. Proverbs 16, 20. God blesses those who obey Him. Happy the man who puts his trust in the Lord. And from Psalm 94, 19. Lord, when doubts fill my mind... When my heart is in turmoil, quiet me and give me renewed hope and cheer. And from the notes in Daniel chapter 4, God has shown us who is really in control. We have God's word as our guide for today's challenges. We are commanded to obey God and to trust God. Trusting Him covers those times when we are not sure about the outcome. Trust and obey For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And those words, of course, came from the very familiar song, Trust and Obey. From Nahum 1-7, the Lord is good. When trouble comes, He is the place to go, and He knows everyone who trusts in Him. And then from Proverbs 19-16, the notes, To obey what God teaches in the Bible is self-preserving. To disobey is self-destructive. Charles Stanley on the radio said, how to keep going when the going gets rough. Do we really believe God is in control? There is a reason we don't understand. Give us some sense of what this is to accomplish in my life. And so we need to be in his word. We need to read the word. If God is allowing it, he has a purpose greater than my understanding. And from God's minute, It is better to hold on to his hand in the dark than to walk alone in the light. When you find yourself in a dilemma, turn to God. Look to God for strength. And one of my favorite lines, I don't even know, I didn't even write down where I read this, but no case is hopeless while Jesus lives. 
Jesus comforts his followers with these messages, and this was from Jesus calling, Peace be with you, and I am with you always. Charles Spurgeon says, Let this be our family rule and our personal bond. Speak no evil of any man. Charles Spurgeon says, A neglected prayer life is the beginning of all spiritual decline. Psalm 32, 7a, You are my hiding place from every storm of life. 1 Chronicles 16.11 Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. And you've heard this today from 2 Chronicles 20.15 Don't be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. Psalm 59.10 My God is changeless in His love for me, and He will come and help me. From the notes, and I'm not sure this was anyway, it's on the page of my Bible. It is not enough to be familiar with Jesus' teachings. Jesus' true followers love and obey him. Also from some of the notes, God is faithful. His strength is sufficient for any trial. When trials come, they keep us from pride and teach us dependence on God. Our trials and troubles are opportunities to demonstrate Christ's power and presence in us. And Charles Spurgeon says, God's children run home when the storm comes. In every trouble, we should first seek to realize God's presence with us. Resort to him in all your times of need, for he is always waiting to bless you. And that was Charles Spurgeon. From John chapter 16, verse 24, Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. From Romans 4, 20 and 21, But Abraham never doubted. He believed God, for his faith and trust grew ever stronger, and he praised God for this blessing even before it happened. He was completely sure that God was able to do anything he promised. From the notes for Romans 8, 26 and 27, When you bring your request to God, trust that he will always do what is best. Charles Spurgeon says, Unanswered petitions are not unheard. The book of John, chapter 15, verse 7, If you stay in me and obey my commands, you may ask any request you like, and it will be granted. And this is one of my favorite poems I read by John Newton. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. This song, Does Jesus Care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. And that's by Graf and Hall. And from God's Minute. Pardon anything in our lives that hinders our fellowship with thee and correct in our character whatever is not Christ-like. Henry Blackaby says, Peace doesn't come from the world, nor does it come from within yourself. Peace comes only from God. If you're looking for real peace, go to Jesus. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The notes for Romans 8, 18 through 24. God is not working to make us happy but to fulfill His purpose. Those who love God and are fitting into His plans learn to accept pain and persecution, not resent it, because it brings them closer to God. God's ultimate goal for us is to make us like Christ. And then from Psalm 84, 11b, No good thing will He withhold from those who walk along His paths. And from the notes for Psalm 107, 1, No matter how extreme our calamity, God is able to break through to help us. He is loving and kind to those who are distressed. In Psalm 119, 114, 
You are my refuge and my shield, and your promises are my only source of hope. From 1 Peter 5, 7, Let him have all your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. I thought I was going to have time to read more of these, but I I don't think I really have with the other stuff that I have for today. So I'm going to stop with that one, and I'll put a little note here because some other time I might come back to this. I do want to read this from a writing by Henry Blackaby on a Christmas day on 1225 in what he wrote for that daily devotional. When circumstances happen in your life that are not what you would have chosen and you wonder why God allowed this to happen, trust him anyway. Several years ago, I was fortunate enough to be able to hear James McDonald talking about trials, and I would like to read you a synopsis of how he said we should handle trials that come into our lives. James McDonald never intended to write a book about trials and suffering. His life was going along just fine until suddenly one thing happened and then another and then another until a hurricane of trials surrounded him. From sickness and death in the church to his mother having ALS to church financial woes to McDonald's own cancer, life got very hard very fast. I began to search the New Testament for what God had to say about trials, McDonald writes in his book, When Life is Hard. Not as an academic or a person called to feed the faith of others, but as a desperate soul crying out for some rain to soften the soil, for some nourishment to fill my hungry heart, for something, anything to help me find my way out of the wasteland I once called a life. McDonald, pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, shared during the Convergence Conference at Hickory Grove Baptist Church what he learned during a season of trials. During his first session, the message that he spoke was from James 1, 1 through 8, and he began by explaining what it means to have joy, as the text instructs believers to count their trials as joy. Joy is a supernatural delight in the purposes of God and the people of God. McDonald said joy comes from God, and joy exists when believers know that even if they can't see it or feel it during a certain situation, They still trust that God is ordering the circumstances in the lives of his children. His children are able to, as described in the book of James, count everything joy because they keep trials in perspective. Life is not just about comfort or entertainment. We are here to display the superiority of the life lived in God. You are here to shout the magnificence of what it means to surrender to the God of the universe, McDonald said. During struggles, Christians have the opportunity to show the world what it means to be wholly surrendered to God and to treasure Him above all else. McDonald pleaded with those attending not to run away and give up during the trials. During struggles, the pressure and weight is felt, and the temptation may be to complain or lash out at others or just fold and despair. Trials produce staying power, McDonald said. The nails that don't remain under the hammer never reaches its goal. The gold that doesn't remain under the fire is never a thing of value. The Christian that doesn't remain under the mighty hand of God is never truly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. During the second session, McDonald spoke from Hebrews 12 through 17 about the downward spiral that happens when Christians do not accept the trials. Sometimes attempts are made to run from the trial because believers get discouraged and fail to see that in the trial God produces holiness in their lives. The reason we don't hunger for holiness is because we experience so little of it, McDonald said. If you don't submit to the trial, you are going to miss the blessing. 
Holiness is, of course, not how people are saved, and it is not the way to heaven, but holiness is the consuming interest of the people who are really going there. Do you think God saved you just to get your sorry self out of hell? He saved you so that he could show the glorious splendor of a transformed life. Discouragement leads to dislocation. When Christians submit to God and the pressure of the trial, he provides the strength to stand up under it. Yet, if Christians do not submit to the pressure, the pain only increases. Dislocation then leads to bitterness, and Christians become bitter when they do not obtain the grace of God, as written in Hebrews. There's enough grace available for you, whatever you're going through, McDonald said. In salvation, falling short of the grace is trying to save yourself. In sanctification, falling short of the grace is trying to sanctify yourself. Bitterness then leads to profane living, at which point the pearl of great price, the kingdom of God, is no longer the heart's desire. To avoid this downward spiral of refusing to live in the trials, McDonald urged the believers to cling to the promise that though trials come, they produce a fruit of righteousness for those who remain steadfast. Charles Spurgeon has written, No faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs in adversity. Tried faith brings experience. You would never have known God's strength if you hadn't been supported in the middle of the floods. What storm are you in today? I hope there has been something you have heard today that has helped you. And if you are blessed enough not to be in a storm right now, watch out. There may be clouds on the horizon, and you better be prepared. In Psalm 119.49, it says, Never forget your promises to me, your servant, for they are my only hope. They give me strength in all my troubles, how they refresh and revive me. And from Psalm 57.1, O God, have pity, for I am trusting you. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until this storm is past. In closing, I would like to read the full serenity prayer that we usually only hear the first part of. I've been to several AA meetings and the first part is always used. I heard the full serenity prayer read at a funeral a few months ago the first time I had ever heard it used at a funeral. And here it is. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in life and supremely happy with him in the next. In closing from Psalm 94:19, Lord, when doubts fill my mind, when my heart is in turmoil, quiet me and give me renewed hope and cheer. Thank you for listening. been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 